Well, if you're just joining us today, we are in the Gospel of John. We like to try to work through books of the Bible. And last week, we spent some time at a wedding in Cana. Before that, we spent some time with Philip and Nathaniel and looking at Jacob and a ladder. And before that, we spent some time with the first disciples that were called here. Andrew and Peter, we spent time with John, the Baptist or baptizer. And one thing that we kept seeing is that Jesus brings something better. Jesus brings a better baptism than what John could bring, because he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus brings, Jesus is a better ladder than the ladder that Jacob saw. He actually is the ladder that connects us to God. Jesus brings a better wine. A better purification because His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Today we're going to see what else He brings or is that is better. So as we normally do, we're going to work through this verse by verse and ask God to reveal to us His Word. Starting in verse 12 today. After this, He went down to Capernaum with His mother and His brothers and His disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Now again, he was just in Cana, in the hill country of Galilee, in Cana. And it says that he went down to Capernaum. That's because Capernaum is lower in elevation, and he went down. And Capernaum is probably, at the time, a city of maybe 1,000, 1,500 people. But it's next to the water, and it's a fishing village. We wouldn't know anything about that. Here. He goes there, and what's interesting is this seems to be where Jesus sets up his kind of home base for his ministry. We said that he's just getting his ministry going here, and this where he, it seems to be where he sets it up. Notice that he's with his mothers and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there again for a few days, traveling together, his disciples, his family traveling together. We talked about this, that how life as Christians should be done is together, life on life. He's discipling these people, and he's showing them how they're to grow following Him. The same is true for us. As we learn to follow Jesus, we do that together. We follow Jesus together and do life-on-life ministry and discipleship. That's why I'm always encouraging you not to just show up here on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night or Tuesday night or Thursday night or whatever we got going on. Spend some time having coffee with one another. Spend some time fishing with one another. Spend some time going to restaurants. Be in each other's lives. So this verse, again, verse 12, is just kind of a transition verse to get us to the next scene of what Jesus does. Let's go to verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. We've talked about the Passover briefly when we were in John chapter 1 because it talked about, again, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if you remember out of Exodus 12 that the Passover itself had to do with God delivering His people from Egypt. It was the plague that was coming and God was going to kill the firstborn of everyone unless they would sacrifice the sheep, this lamb, and put the blood above the doorpost. And then the angel of death would come and pass over them, would not kill their firstborn. We talked about in John chapter 1 how Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's our Passover He's the way that death goes over us. doesn't mean we don't die in this life. It means that we don't eternally die and be separated from God. Jesus is our Passover. 
So what would happen is they would actually go each year. This was called one of the, the, the feasts, the pilgrimage feasts, that they would go three times. They would go to Jerusalem. The Jewish people would. They were called to go there to worship there in Jerusalem and make sacrifices there. So the Passover, this celebration, this feast, we'll talk on Wednesday night a little bit more of what that actually looked like. But again, it was to remember God's grace in passing over those who trusted in Him. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now we see they're going up, the language says here. Again, that's because where Jerusalem is, it's elevated. But it also is because it's important. As you know, if you know your Old Testament, it's probably the most important place. We first see it come along when Abraham meets with Melchizedek, the king of peace, who comes and meets with Abraham there. We also know that if you remember the story of how Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, this is also where that's at, the Temple Mount, which is highly fought for throughout history. We see that David takes it over. Jerusalem is sometimes called the city of David, Zion, the city of God. And its name actually means the possession of peace. Or the city of peace, if you will. It's important because it's where the Messiah is said to come back. And if you know anything about the the Middle East, you know that there's constantly a fight for that area. And throughout the crusades and things, it was going back and forth, wanting this holy place. It was the capital of Israel, and then when the kingdom split, which we talked about in our Ruth study and Habakkuk study, when the kingdom split and Judah was in the south, it was the capital of Judah. The temple was built there and then destroyed. And then the second temple was being built and continued to this time today. So Jesus is going. He's being faithful to the Passover. and He's going up to Jerusalem. Let's go to verse 14. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there. Now it's starting to get a little bit interesting. In the temple, as you'll know, the temple is the main place for the Jewish people. The temple is extremely important because in the Holy of Holies, that's where the presence of God is. And they would go there and that's where the sacrifice would be done. That's where they go to get forgiveness of sins. It's extremely important. But the temple wasn't just one room. It was actually this kind of big complex, if you will, with multiple sections. This section that they're talking about right here was the the most outer section, still within some of the walls there, but the outer section, the court of the Gentiles. A Gentile is someone who is not Jewish in the Old Testament. This is the court of the Gentiles. And so Jesus arrives there and he gets to the court of the Gentiles. And there's a bunch of animals around. What's going on here? He found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and money changers sitting there. This in itself is not a bad thing. Because like I just said, that these people are making a pilgrimage, they're going to make sacrifices. Well, guess what? To make a sacrifice, you need something. You need something to sacrifice. You need animals. So can you imagine if you're traveling a long way, wouldn't it be nice to not have to carry your sacrifices with you, but you could get there and buy it right there and then make your sacrifices? Also, the temple used different money, so they need money changers from what everybody else was using 
So wouldn't it be nice for there to be a place to exchange money and be able to do that, right? Seems fair. This actually used to go on, it seems, outside of the temple, but now things have changed and they've moved it inside the temple. I think that may be where we have an issue. Now, you guys know I love to call people up during the sermons, love to use examples, show you guys some illustrations and things. I considered doing that with verse 15. I know Mr. Roy here would have been really excited about this. (laughs) Verse 15, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. I had considered flipping out on the stage up here. Bringing Roy up, chasing him out with a whip, flipping over tables, pouring things out. I thought you guys could maybe visualize this without me having to do that today. Many people get uncomfortable with this passage. There's people that get uncomfortable with this passage. Mostly because we have a wrong understanding of God and because we have a wrong understanding of Jesus. We think he's got the long hair, really sweet, kind of just walks around, love you. No, I don't care about your sin, I love you. Jesus very much cares about our sin. To the degree that he's willing to die for it. God very much cares about sin to the degree he's willing to kill his son for us. He doesn't make light of it. The world tries to make light of who Jesus is. Oh, he's a great teacher, and he just loved everyone. Well, there's truth to that. But you can't leave out his zeal for his Father and for his glory. You can't miss those things. It's funny how, as we've talked about before, even when Satan tempts Jesus, I'd say the same is true with false teachers today. I'd say the same is true with the world today. We love to bring half-truths. Something that looks holy, that looks good, but isn't actually fully true. Because if it were clear that it was against God, oh, that's terrible, oh no, most of us would go, oh yeah, yeah, we don't, we're not going to buy that, that's, that's bad stuff. But when it, well, that kind of seems true, and what happens is it's got a hook inside of it that will grab you and ruin your life. So Jesus makes a whip of cords. Again, just grabbing something that's there. Some rope. Again, there are all these animals. And he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins, the money changers, and overturned their tables. He makes a statement by doing this. Part of that, he is the Messiah, and he will cleanse his father's temple. And he told those, verse 16, those who sold the pigeons... Take these things away. And here we get why Jesus is actually doing this. What are you doing, Jesus? You just have a bad day? No coffee? What happened? Or tea, probably, in that time. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. It wasn't the fact that people were there exchanging money, offering away for sacrifices to be done or animals to be bought. It's that they brought it from the outside and they brought it to the inside where it doesn't belong. That's not what the temple's for. That's not what the temple's for. The temple was the place to go and worship and make your sacrifices to God and sing praises to God and pray to God. It's not what the temple was for. 
That's what Jesus gets upset about. Because again, this is the idea of this is a holy place. And it's made for worship, and it's not made for these common things. It's something special. What's interesting is he says, my father's house here, that type of phrase when he talks about God being his father will get him in trouble later. Quite a bit in in the Gospel of John. We're going to see that. They didn't seem to catch it this time. Or at least they didn't understand it. They just thought he said, okay, he's a child of God. They're not getting all of what Jesus is saying. It's the wrong thing in the wrong place at the wrong time. Verse 17, His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So, we don't know exactly when this is happening, but it seems like they notice how he does this and they see from Psalm 69, verse 9, oh wow, they're remembering something from the Old Testament. This is again part of the idea of why we want to memorize Scripture. We want to store Scripture in our hearts so that God can bring it to our mind when we need it. They're understanding what he's doing here because that psalm that he's quoting is a messianic psalm, meaning it's about the Messiah, and it's actually one of the ones that's referred to the most in the New Testament. Many, many times it's referred to. This psalm is called from. Zeal for your house will consume me. It's interesting, that word zeal it's kind of like, how do, you, how do you translate zeal? Passion. Something you, you care about. Something you love. Something that if it's mistreated, you're going to get upset about. You're going to get upset about. This is the idea of righteous anger. Show of hands, how many people have heard of righteous anger? Righteous anger. So question... Is it okay to get angry? Yes. In fact, you can look with me if you want to. Ephesians 4. four twenty six says this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. So what's interesting is in this passage where Paul is actually talking to the church at Ephesus, he's explaining the new life, he actually says this command, be angry and do not sin. It doesn't say, if you happen to get angry, don't sin. This is actually a command that we are, I would say, in some ways, to be zealous or angry about certain things. I've got a question for you today. Do you get angry about the right things? the things that are being mentioned here. See, trying to figure out what the difference is between righteous anger and unrighteous anger, that can be a very fine line. And here's the problem. Most of the time when we get angry, we're going to put it in the righteous category. (laughs) We're going to put it in that category. Oh yeah, I was angry, but it was righteous anger. It was okay. We're quick to do that because we're quick to be our own advocate, our own lawyer. And what's interesting is Proverbs talks about when there's a situation, the first person who comes to you seems right until you hear the other side of the story, right? What's interesting is when we get angry, guess who's the first person that comes to you? You are. You're the first person that comes to yourself and says, I was right in this scenario. See, I think we actually get 
angry and we call it righteous anger more than it probably actually is. Now, how many of you struggle with anger? Anyone struggle with anger? How many of you have ever gotten angry? Okay. This, this is helpful in Ephesians. We're to be angry. We're to be zealous for certain things, but not sin. And that's part of the trick, is how do we do this without sinning? Let me help to see if we can define some righteous anger. To know if you have righteous anger about something, are you angry about the same thing God is angry about? Are you angry about the same thing that God is angry about? In other words, can I say it this way? Are you angry about sin? Is it actual sin that you're angry about? Or is it preference? Is it a preference that you didn't get your way, and so now you're angry about it? Like if I announce, well, we're taking out all the hymnals, and we're taking out the piano, and we're bringing in a heavy metal band for our worship time. (laughs) I suspect just going to throw this out there. There'd be some angry people. Worship style is not really in Scripture. Okay? As long as it's glorifying Jesus and edifying to us, it can be any different way. Sometimes our preferences, which can be good things, become idols when we make them the most important thing. And what's interesting is that's not the Christian life. The Christian life says, I'm going to put my preferences aside to better serve and love each one of you. When you have a church, a community of people who are putting preferences aside to love and serve one another, as you guys have been doing a great job of, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. That's how you outdo one another in showing honor. I told you before, ah, Roy, come on up. I don't have a whip on me. I do have a belt I could take off. This is a visual for that idea of outdoing one another and showing honor. I've mentioned this to some of you before. When we were in uh, Africa, you would greet people, and part of what they would do is the, the one who was trying to show more honor would get lower than the other one. Okay, so I'd shake his hand, and he's older than I am by a little bit. Okay, and I would go here. Well, just because he's older, he may still try to show me honor, especially if I'm a guest. So he would go a little lower, but then I'm going to go even a little lower and lower, 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 lower. (laughs) He's a lot more flexible than I am. That's not fair. Get up there. Thank you. That's the visual of what we're trying to do with one another all the time. Trying to do this. Are you angry when anger comes? Are you angry about sin? Are you angry about the same things God is angry about? Another thing, are you angry that people are sinning against God? Yes, the sin may be against you and there can be some anger there, but don't miss this. All sin is ultimately against God. And if it doesn't make a difference to you that whatever this person did was actually sin against God, then my guess is it's probably not righteous anger. 
I'm not saying you can't be hurt if someone sins against you. That's going to hurt. Okay? A couple more. In that anger, are you seeking reconciliation? Or is it, I'll never talk to them again. Uh-uh, I'm writing them off my list. Or on my list. I've got a list over here. I keep it. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about we don't do that if you're loving. You don't keep a list against people of what they've done. So if that's your anger, which moves you to that, not righteous. Not righteous. If it's not resolved quickly, notice in that Ephesians passage it says before the sun sets. Now, what if the sun sets at 7.52 and your husband does a bonehead move at 7.51 it's going to take you a few minutes to calm down? Oh, the sunset. Oh, missed it. Disobeyed scripture. That's not the point. The point of that passage is to handle it quickly. If you have anger against somebody, months, years, decades, that's not righteous anger anymore. I promise you that. It's not. And that doesn't mean you have to approve approve of what they've done. That's not the point. But as far as reconciliation and forgiveness and getting that anger out of your heart, that's on you with that. And you need to pray and ask God's Spirit, please, to help me work through this. And guess what? He will. He'll get that out. As long as we focus on the cross, focus on our own sin, focus on all that Christ has done. Is your anger, your righteous anger, is it controlled? Now again, you're like, whoa, whoa. Jesus was just throwing stuff and flipping tables and things. What's interesting is during that time, there would have been Roman guards and those around at least that if he would have gone too far and caused a riot, he would have been arrested for that. So apparently what he does is measured. He knows exactly how far he can go. And again, he's doing it to make a point to everybody else. But are you under control when you have your anger? Meaning, do you start name-calling your spouse, your friend, your family member, this other person? Do you start tearing them down? Do you punch holes in the wall? Are you under control? Measured response. Do you then try to hurt the person? You know what I'm talking about here? That's where my, my, my feelings get hurt, and so I'm going to do something back to hurt you. Repaying evil with evil. I'll tell you what this can look like. This can look like when I come home from work, I want Heather right there at the door, excited to see me. I want my wife right there. The door opens. Love you! As soon as it opens, I want her right there. That's what I want. How often do you think that happens? <laughs> Every time. You guys are bad for things. No, I'm kidding. So what, what, what's interesting? What's interesting is if I really want this attention as soon as I come home, I want to be able to talk about my day and this and that. And I come home. We have five kids. If you don't know, she's cooking. She's running around. She's chasing this kid. Bella's got a diaper that needs to be changed. She's busy. So my feelings get hurt. I'm not important. What about me? 
I get upset so I don't get my hug right away. So, 10, 15 minutes passes by. She gets the diaper changed. She's got dinner okay on the table. Then she comes and says, hey, babe, good to see you. So glad you're home. I'm a little cold. Yeah, thank you. Good day, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. I'm short. I'm cold. Why am I doing that? Um, my feelings got hurt, and I'm going to respond with something that I know is going to hurt her too. Some of us get cold and withdraw, and that's a way of hurting others. And then some bulldoze. Some of you do this. You say, I'm going I'm to show you. I'm going to make my points, and I'm going to get all my evidence... And I'm going to go to Heather and say, I came home, I work hard, I make sure I bring in the money for the house here, I work hard, all I expect is a little tension when I get here. And I raise my voice, maybe I'm aggressive a little bit, maybe not lay hands, but aggressive to get her to realize that I'm hurt and I'm upset about it and you need to change. And I'm bulldozing. Pretty much everyone in here does one or the other for the most part. You either withdraw or you bulldoze, usually. Just so you know, not righteous. These are some, we'll talk more on this on Wednesday night of what this looks like as we flesh this out, but this is the type of stuff that would be unrighteous anger. But what Jesus has is righteous anger, and we should have that, a zeal, a passion for the name of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. When people are sinning, no, don't sin. No, not against God. Don't do it. It's, for, it's not going to help you. It's not going to help others. It's definitely it's against God. Don't do this. We want to be passionate and zealous for the things that God, are, God is passionate about. Do we care about the holiness of God? Do we care about people? Do we care about sin? Where are we on this? Or are we indifferent? I just don't really care. I'm too busy watching Netflix. Got to stay focused on the main things. So the disciples understood this passage or came to their mind, zeal for your house will consume me. Real quick side note, they're not focusing on the consume me part there. They're focusing on the zeal. The consume me ultimately is going to be where Jesus dies. His zeal for the glory of God and the holiness of God is what will kill him. Because he's supposed to be killed. That's part of the plan. Wasn't an oopsie. Oh, no, I didn't know that was going to happen. That's been the plan from the foundations of the world. So the Jews said to him, verse 18, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Love it. The Jews, we've heard this phrase before. Now the leaders have come in. Those responsible for the, for the temple, they've come in. Whoa, 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 what's going on here? What sign do you have? What authority do you have to do this stuff? They're curious who this guy is. Now remember they sent remember they sent people earlier to John to ask questions about him about this Jesus well about John first and then John testifies about Jesus What authority do you have to do this I love this response Jesus answers a completely different direction Jesus answers them destroy this temple and in 3 days I'll raise it up Now this temple has been going they're going to tell us just seconds 46 years they've been working on it probably not finished yet they're still working on it what authority do you have to, to do this? He says, oh, you guys, destroy this temple in three days and we'll raise it up. You know what he's saying there? They don't get it. 
yeah, I'm the one in control of the temple. I'm actually the one who is the temple. You're going to see that eventually, but you guys don't get it. I'm the one who has authority over everything. Going back to John chapter 1, I'm the one who's created everything. To raise a temple in three days, this physical temple would be nothing. What I'm going to show you is I'm actually a better temple. Jesus is the better temple. They don't get it. Check it out. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? They don't get it. They don't get it. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Verse 22, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered, this is a later event, they remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The dots get connected later, even for his disciples. He's saying, my body's this temple I'm talking about. And it's bringing in, now again, what was the point of the temple? That's where the sacrifices went. That's where the purification for sins, that's where it was to happen. Multiple times. Oh, ear, going, going, all these sacrifices. Why is Jesus' body, why is Jesus a better temple? Because it's one time. Hebrews talks about this. It's one sacrifice for all time, for all peoples. That's why he's the better temple. So how does this help us? Are you zealous for what God is zealous about? I think it's a good thing for us to ask throughout the week, and on Wednesday we can talk more about it. Am I zealous for what God is zealous about? His fame, His glory, His honor, His word, His people. Or are you indifferent? Realize what else is interesting is Paul later tells us that our bodies are actually a temple. Temple of the who? Whom? Holy Spirit. So the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was in the temple, Jesus is the better temple, and now we are also a temple, and we have the presence of God inside of us. And so here's the thing. Just like we're not, they, they weren't supposed to bring these things that didn't belong there into the temple, guess what? We're not to be doing that either. We're to keep this temple clean. And we ask, first of all, how does that happen? By trusting in Jesus and getting a new heart. So you get the Holy Spirit. So you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then we stay in his word. We stay in prayer. We stay in community. And we put off sin. We put on all these good things, including anger, if it's done right. If we're zealous for the things God is zealous for. So if you're a believer, that's what you work on. Am I zealous for what God is zealous for? And do I try to keep the temple clean, keeping the things out that doesn't belong there? If you're not a believer, then you believe just as the disciples did because he's already been raised from the dead and his disciples remembered this and they believed the scriptures and they believed in Jesus. If you haven't done that, that's what you do during our response time. Okay. Altar's open if you want to come pray. You can pray in your seats, of course. Have Roy come up for, or the team come up for the response time. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we'll respond. Let's pray. God of all grace, God of all hope, God of all peace, powerful, holy, and just God, we thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, we thank you for answering our prayer of helping us see the truth in your word. Help us 
to understand these things better. Help us not to, to, as James talks about, look in the mirror and then walk away and forget what we look like. Lord, help us to remember these things throughout the day. Help us to talk about these things with one another. Help us to hold to you. Lord, I do pray for anyone in here who has never truly called out to Jesus to be their Savior. I pray that they would do that today, trusting in His death on the cross in our place for our sins and how after three days He rose, defeating sin, Satan, and death for our justification. I pray that You would lead them to that today. I pray they would make today the day of salvation. Lord, for the rest of us who are already following You, help us to be more like Jesus. Help us to have zeal, passion for your name, for your glory, for the things that are good. Help us to have zeal against anger towards things that are bad. Lord, as we get angry, which we will, help us to understand and search our hearts to show us whether that's righteous anger or not. And when we are angry, in a righteous anger. Help, help us to not allow that to move to sin.